What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Strange Familiars, if you have a story of an encounter with the paranormal you'd like to share with us, you can email us, strangefamiliarspodcast at gmail.com. Snow is coming down. I'm hoping that that will act as a natural sort of sound 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 barrier. Yeah, Yeah. that would be nice. So when the trucks go by with their Jake brakes at twice the speed they should, maybe it won't be so loud. So this is an episode I've been wanting to do for a while. At least since the Spindrift episode. Because Barbara contacted us. A few people contacted us in the past about the story of the shadow's ghost, right? Mm-hmm. The ghost of the shadow, however you want to phrase it. But most recently, Barbara did. And she's like, you know, his house was only a walk away from the Spindrift house. and The author of the shadow. The author of the shadow, where he was staying. And... Much has been made, which we will hear, of people seeing the shadow's ghost in the house in which he used to live. But he had some other encounters with the paranormal, too, which I've never heard anybody else talk about. So we're going to talk about them tonight, along with the shadow. Before we get to that, I just want to remind everybody that we cannot do Strange Familiars without our patrons. So if you like what we do, if you like the content we make and you want to help us, please consider becoming a patron at Patreon. It's patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. You can check out all the different levels of support there. Any level helps. 
There's monthly subscription options and there's yearly subscription options. They all help. Go ahead and check it out. Patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. This month's patron episode is going to be related in a way to this episode. We'll get to a little bit more about that later. If you don't like the idea of a monthly or yearly subscription like Patreon and you still want to help, go to the show notes under any episode at strangefamiliars.com. Look for the paypal.me link. You can click on that and make a one-time donation. And of course, everyone can help by sharing the show on social media, liking and subscribing wherever you're listening, whether it's a podcatcher, one of the many, many podcatchers out there, or YouTube or wherever you're listening. And by leaving us those nice five-star reviews, which, believe it or not, helps get the show in front of new potential listeners. And of course, while we're talking about patrons, I want to thank our patrons, as we do every episode, because no patrons, no strange familiars. We just couldn't do it without them. We got your January patron show coming up soon. Thanks, everybody. So let's get back to this episode on Walter Gibson, sort of the creator of The Shadow. Is that his real name? I just assume that all comic book people have, like, a pretend name. Well, Walter Gibson was the author's real name, but he wrote under the name of Maxwell Grant. He wrote the Shadow Stories. Oh, see? Yeah. I guessed correctly. I didn't actually know. Yeah. <laughs> Maxwell Grant does sound like a, like a, honestly, it sounds like kind of a third-rate magician name, but... <laughs> well, we're going to get into that. Oh, really? I yes. actually don't have a good yeah, you... working knowledge of this, yeah. so this is all purely just... Hang tight. You're going to like this guy. <laughs> okay. Sci-fi tropes and... So much of this information comes from two sources. It comes from Duende Number no. 2, which is a shadow fanzine that was published in 1976. I have in my notes 1876. That's obviously a typo. I would love to collect zines from 1876, right? though, if anybody had a Xerox machine then. <laughs> and it comes from The Shadow Scrapbook by Walter Gibson. And there's a couple other sources throughout, like the Mothman Prophecies and stuff. The Shadow Wait, there's Scra- a connection to the Mothman prophecies? Oh, yeah. Is there anything John Keel didn't have his hands on? I don't believe so. Not in the paranormal, <laughs> no. The Shadow Scrapbook was a book that Walter Gibson wrote later in his life, I think in the 70s, that was sort of a remembrance of the shadow and has uh, a lot of the different uh, stories about writing it, his, his recollections about writing it, but also it's like a checklist for all the different shadow magazines and comics and stuff that, that were made up until that time. Oh, it's, it's really neat source. Complete discography. Yeah. So Walter Gibson himself was a super interesting man. He was very interested in stage magic. Hence the name Maxwell Grant. That sounds like a stage magician. He was friends with Houdini. That I think I did know. Yeah, he was good friends with Houdini. He actually hosted the annual Houdini seance, the one that they would try to contact Houdini every year. Mm -hmm. Was it on his date of death or his birthday? Do you remember? I want to say it was his death. I think it was. I think so. I'm getting that and the Poe birthday thing confused. Right, <laughs> yeah. But Gibson actually hosted the seance for several years. And then he didn't he, he passed it on to the people that own the Houdini Museum I in Scranton. I think so, yeah, yeah. Which is on our list as soon as COVID's over. I want to go to Scranton. Too. And he actually did some ghostwriting for Houdini. He wrote a couple Houdini books. Oh, wow. And he did ghostwriting for another magician you may know, Blackstone, another famous stage magician. Wow. The, the first iteration of Blackstone. I think so. He did ghostwriting for another author by the name of Professor A.F. Seward, and he claimed to be the world's leading astrologer. 
So Gibson, before he was ever into the shadow, he was already into stage magic. He was into psychic phenomena. He was into like weird stories and what we would call now Fortiana. He was into all that stuff. Well, what did he do? Was he just a writer of like short stories or something for magazines? He wrote for magazines, anything that paid pretty mm-hmm. much. He wrote, like I said, he did this ghost writing. He wrote books about on magic, on crime, on dreams, and even Pinochle. He wrote books about the card game Pinochle. So he just, anything that he could, he wrote about. He was very super prolific. He sometimes wrote two full shadow novels in a month. Wow. Yeah. Some people might call that sort of like hack writing. (laughs) If you can pump out two novels in a month. Other people think maybe meth. (laughs) (laughs) This was pre-meth, I think. There are stories of him typing till his fingers were bloody, literally, on the typewriter. There was a eventually a shadow pulp magazine now the shadows started as a character that was kind of a host of a radio show and people became so interested in who the shadow was Mm it's kind of almost like the crypt keeper you know Mm -hmm. people became so interested in who the shadow was that they decided to make the shadow into this character and then gibson took that and he kind of developed this whole character based on so like the first time that the shadow appears he's not a comic book hero. He's not really fleshed out. No, he's just this sort of narrator, kind of introduces these crime tales. It's a magazine called Dis- Detective Story Magazine, and we'll get into this a little bit more when we talk to John. And they had a radio show called Detective Story Hour, and The Shadow was sort of the host of that and became so popular, kind of, they, they thought, well, we have to make we have to make a character up of the shadow and, and just so, just because i'm a little off on the chronology here like what era are we are we talking about right now i think the we're talking about like 1930 so oh, okay pre-world war ii yeah mm-hmm. and so when i mean maybe you guys discuss this in your comic book version of this uh, but when does the sort of boom comic book superhero boom start we do talk about that and the shadow was sort of a return to these heroic characters because the pulp magazines for you know almost 20 years had been focused on crime mm-hmm. and these these kind of stories every now and then you get an adventure story but it really wasn't a, a character driven adventure story it might have mm-hmm. been like one guy's story about being in antarctica or something you know or climbing mount everest or whatever it was but the shadow kind of it's this proto superhero that marks the return of this this heroic fiction in these magazines They're a very important character as far as that goes and how often do these things sort of mirror what's happening historically? Like, is, is the shadow an allusion to something that happened during World War One that's still sort of following the United States? And I mean, a lot of the shadow's villains were, there was a big interest in Chinese culture at the time. So he has a lot of these sort of, you know, like a Chinese Mandarin kind of opium den kind of, you know, dealings where he, he deals with the, the underground, the Chinese underground and stuff, mm-hmm. underworld. And I guess this might be any time in in America up until whatever, the sort mm-hmm. of fear of the other, I think, you know, fear of the yeah. unknown. And we're also well into the Depression at this point. And so how, how do comic books as a general rule fare during this time period? Is there a return to this sort of like inexpensive form of entertainment or well, is it pulp seen magazine, as a luxury? Pulp magazines and comics were always, they were, that's why they were pulp magazines. They were cheap. They were, they were produced cheaply. And they were meant to be cheap entertainment. So you, the idea was to sell a lot of them for a little bit of money. That's oh, it. yeah, so like the dime shows. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So he was so prolific that sometimes the entire Shadow magazine mm-hmm. every month would be written by him under a bunch of different pseudonyms. 
Oh, wow. Well, Gibson. That's We're back taking to control of your, uh, yeah, yeah. your character. Uh, so he started writing under other pseudonyms, so it wouldn't seem just like one guy is writing this magazine. So at one point, Gibson, using the pseudonym Maxwell Grant, which he used for The Shadow, he was the world record holder for typing. 1,444,000 words in less than 10 months. That is impressive. Yeah. So there, there were competitors that were analyzing the Shadow Magazine because why is it so popular and mm. how can we make a character like this? And they concluded that there must be three people writing the magazine due to the output. At one point, it was two times a month this magazine was published. And with some months, it was all Gibson. And they, they figured it can't be one guy. It has to be three different writers writing this. Wow. And sometimes it was all him. He's quite the character and quite a prolific writer for sure. He wrote 117 books besides the Shadow books, of which he wrote 282 Shadow novels. How, I mean, you must be working on like five or six at the same time just to try to get it. He definitely, and he worked ahead and... A little bit. <laughs> yeah, he, he tried to just get as much done as he could. And once it was successful, he felt like he needed to keep building on that and was really dedicated to the character in a way. But eventually did hand off the writing to some other people. He kept writing it, but other people wrote it too. And not to bring this back to sort of like a, a very obvious sort of Jungian thing, but is this supposed to be sort of the shadow side of Walter Gibson? Interesting. I would say probably not specifically because the character existed before him. I think he, he kind of tried to build this mysterious character, like what would the shadow be? And he had some ideas, but I don't think it was specifically supposed to be that. But it may be the shadow of all of us in a sense. So all these books, all these different things he wrote, and he did come up with other characters and stuff, but by far his most popular was the shadow. And we're going to talk with John and Sam from Riverbend Comics a little bit about the character of the shadow. All right, I'd like to welcome John and Sam from my favorite comic shop, Riverbend Comics. How are you guys doing? Doing well. How are you, how are you doing, Tim? I'm doing all right. Now, we're going to do a shadow giveaway, but we'll talk about that at the end of our little chat here. So, the shadow. He started out not in comics. Radio. I think he... Well, yeah, I think the character itself was written because of the popularity of this host character. Yeah, Detective Story Hour. So that was July 31st, 1930. The radio show was basically like a uh, glorified commercial to help sell copies of the magazine, the companion magazine, Detective Story Magazine. And so um, they created this narrator to entice the listeners along and um it got to the point where the listeners were actually asking at the newsstands for the shadow detective magazine because they were sort of making that name synonymous with the whole show so yeah it would have been like if the crypt keeper from tales from the crypt got more popular than the stories yeah it was exactly like that it was totally the same thing yeah they uh street and smith was the company that was publishing the magazine and they hired uh, this guy walter gibson to create a concept that would fit the name of the voice and uh then they went ahead with that and published The Shadow Magazine starting in April of the next year. The Shadow character, I mean, was extremely popular, but the popularity extended beyond the radio and it went into books and magazines and it had a revival, I think, in the 60s. Yeah, Archie Comics published uh, 
Well, it's kind of weird. Archie Comics brought it back in the 60s from 64 to 65. They did eight issues. And it was part of their sort of Archie superhero line that they were doing. Oh, I didn't so even it, know about this. Yeah. So it was really weird because in the first issue, it was classic shadow, you know, the black cloak, the, the hat and everything. And in the second issue on, they tried to shift him into more of a conventional superhero with like a superhero costume. And it didn't work and it crashed after like eight issues and they canceled it. Wow. See, I didn't even know that. I, I thought the first comics were those early 70s ones from uh, DC, I guess. Well, the, the very first comics was the Shadow Comics, which Street and Smith, the same publisher of the Pulp Magazine, started publishing in 1940. And there was also um, a syndicated comic strip from 1940 to 42. Okay, I remember. But, I, I have copies of the syndicated strip, but I, I didn't know about that earlier one either. Well, I'm off. I'm glad I have my comic shop experts here. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the Shadow Comics uh, from 1940 went from like to like 1949. So it was 101 issues they published. Uh, I've never seen any of them in person. They look pretty cool. And actually doing this research, I was poking around eBay thinking I'd pick up a couple just to check them out. And they easily go for a hundred bucks a pop or more. So. Wow. John often makes this mistake. He forgets that we're in the business of selling comic books and he winds up buying a lot of comic books. I, I still have to educate him on how the business actually works. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a lifelong problem I have. I am uh, cursed with the same problem <laughs> myself. Sam is uh, gifted with the ability to be a diehard reader and not a collector, but I have the collector bug and it's, uh, it's not good at times. Yeah. It can bite you that one. So, yeah. so yeah. Wow. Now I need to get at least the first issue of that Archie series. Yeah. I've been, um, I actually have been, uh, scouting one of those on eBay too. And there you can actually get them pretty affordably, uh, when they're a little more beat up. So we'll come across one eventually. I'm sure. Wow. See now, I didn't know this. I thought the first comics, and I swear I read that maybe in the Shadow Scrapbook, but maybe I was just skimming for information. Maybe I, I read it wrong. I thought they said the like the first appearance were the the DC ones in the in the early seventies. No, so Archie did the sixties. Street Smith did the forties. Made the entire decade of forties, um, and then yeah, DC came along and published like the classic Denny O'Neill Kaluta series in seventy three, and then. Uh, Took a break from that, I guess, and then brought it back in the late 80s with some pretty cool creators, Sinkowitz and um, I think Chaikin did some. And now so like uh, 87, and Marvel did the one, the only thing they've ever published was the graphic novel. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, 93 to 1995 was Dark Horse Comics did a whole bunch of miniseries. And then not until 2012 did we see Shadow Comics again when Dynamite picked it up. And they've been publishing various series and miniseries up until the present. I don't know when the last one they did was, but a few years ago. So the Shadow is th this very uh, Batman-like character, which I believe predates Batman, right? Yeah, it predates Batman by like a decade. And it's so obvious digging into this that when Batman was created, it was highly influenced from the Shadow, even to the point where... You know, he, you know, hides in the shadows and his uh, alter ego is this wealthy playboy rich guy. And even to the point where the shadow had multiple identities that he would use uh, in his daily life. So he his real identity was apparently this guy named Kent Allard, who was an aviator that fought in, uh, fought for the French in World War One. And after the war, wanted to continue his war against evil. So he developed this uh, identity of the shadow. And then um, apparently somehow came into contact with this guy Lamont Cranston who was a real not not real in our life but real person in the shadows world where 
when the rich playboy was traveling, he would allow the shadow to take on his identity and they would sort of swap identities. He had other identities that he had assumed from time to time, a businessman named Henry Arnold. There was an elderly guy he would assume the identity of. He would play the part of a criminologist at times. And then he even showed up as a, a old janitor named Fritz who would clean the police station. And that's how he would listen in and hear tips on crimes and sneak into the evidence cabinet and things like that. So just like Batman has his various identities, it's, it's so similar. I didn't know. See, my Batman uh, mythos must not be as deep as I thought. I didn't. I knew that about Moon Knight, who was sort of Marvel's Batman, who has all these different alter egos. Yeah. But I didn't know Batman had those different, uh, like, street-level uh, personalities he would take on. Yeah, there's a, there's a character named Matches Malone, who is like a seedy underground scumbag guy that would hang out in all the filthy bars. And that's Batman in his Matches Malone disguise. And um, Batman has been kind of known to be a uh, sort of a, oh, like a master of disguise that would put on various identities to like sneak around and stuff. He doesn't do it that often. Um, mm-hmm. But the Matches Malone character, he's done on a regular basis. And even in like the classic like 90s Batman cartoon show, he would show up as Matches Malone. So before the, the Shadow Pulp magazines, which were really, that and the radio show kind of propelled the Shadow into pop culture fame i read that the the sort of hero in the pulps the sort of uh like superhero or these proto superheroes had really kind of faded and it was just kind of true crime stuff or they called it true crime it was a lot of it was fictionalized crime that they were publishing but they specifically brought the shadow back they said to kind of bring the hero back into it and he really was this kind of proto superhero yeah cops and robber comics were really big back then you know dick tracy was huge and Dick Tracy had his sort of rogues gallery of like weird criminals that sort of were like supervillains. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there really wasn't any kind of like quote unquote superhero being published at the time. Yeah, it really kind of changed the lands- landscape. Now, the shadow character, it's never, they're never like super clear on what his set of powers are. Yeah, it's been. Clouds it's... men's minds. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you just say it loud. He does. You clouded my mind, Sam. I'm sorry. Well, that's I'm maybe I'm the shadow. Yeah, there was very like there's a whole lot of different changes in his powers as it came and gone, and and it's kind of funny too. Like part of his origin story is depending on which series you're reading or, or listening to the uh, what he crashed somewhere, he had a plane crash, and they healed him, and he went to some um mountain like mystical city where they taught him these mystical powers to turn invisible and the powers of hypnosis yeah depending on who you're which history there either he was in china or india where he learned those things yeah yeah and that that which is funny because that makes me think of um i don't know if you're familiar with the iron fist story um which is basically the same origin story as iron fist he was a a rich guy who crashed uh in the mountains and uh, went to the mystical city of kunlun and trained to learn all his powers yeah and and so not that different from dr strange either right exactly well it's funny i was listening to this and thinking sam and i've been checking out and sam a lot more than i have been listening to the a lot on the hero's journey with um i lost the name sam joseph campbell joseph campbell Yes. So I was wondering how much of that ties in here and, you know, seems to follow the same pattern. For the one radio show, they had him turning invisible. And I guess the idea was that the criminals couldn't see him, and but he, he was invisible and yet his shadow wasn't so they could see his shadow. Oh, creepy. 
Yeah. Well, the way I became familiar with him was from the, the 1970s comics because Mike Kaluta, who was one of my favorite artists of all time, was uh, responsible at least for a good portion of those comics. I know. Yeah. Do you know how many issues that series ran for? I think it ran for 12 or 13 issues. So it wasn't a hugely popular or long-running series. No. Huh. Huh. And yet this, I mean, this character lodged in people's memories. I, I remember my dad, when I was just a little kid, just out of nowhere, would say, like, who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men. <laughs> yeah, I remember my, my own dad saying that, too. Mine, too. Mine, too. Really? That's, ama- that's okay. amazing. Okay, it was out a dad of, thing. Out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Wow, so it's a dad thing. It's a dad thing. <laughs> and that, that, like, stuck in my head, too, you know, like, and in fact, when this whole thing came up, I was like, John mentioned the shadow, and my knowledge of the shadow was very limited except that catchphrase lodged in my head and i it's kind of gone through my thinking every now and again for no reason it comes out of nowhere and it's like this one thing that i know it's attached to the shadow it like was part of my childhood even though it really wasn't yeah yeah i think that's the way this this character in a way kind of it's in the the, the shadows of pop culture it's always there yeah and it, it just kind of creeps out in different ways i think uh maybe the influence of the character has been greater than the character itself. Cause certainly more people know Batman and, and maybe in this day and age, even Moon Knight more than the shadow. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I was thinking about this and as I was compiling this list of all the comics that have been published, you know, I've, I've been voraciously reading and collecting comics since I was eight years old and I never really dived into the shadow. And so I was sort of surprised to see that really since 1940, there's been shadow comics with, the entire time except for a few gaps and so the character himself has been sort of on like the periphery of the comics world which is a lot like the character itself yeah yeah it's really really interesting really interesting are there uh shadow comics being published currently not currently um i i was gonna look that up the dynamite as far as i know still has the license to publish them but they don't have a current comic coming out right now so yeah, I, I know a few years back they did a, a Batman Shadow crossover series. Yeah, and actually reading through all of this, I kind of want to pick that up and read that once now that I know how similar they are and how influenced Batman was from the Shadow. But I think I, that came out probably three or four years ago, so that's the most recent. Yeah, I remember the artwork being pretty good. I remember, You know how picky I am about art. Yeah. I remember liking the art. So we have this character that has sort of like haunted pop culture for lack of a better word over the years and still remains and uh just for our listeners we're going to do a special shadow giveaway with riverbend comics what are we doing how many of these are we giving away uh i think we're gonna give two away nice how's that sound that sounds Sounds like a good number so we're uh, the two that i have earmarked to give away is funny because one of them i don't have in my hands and i don't remember what it's called it's the the graphic novel that um Kaluta did with Russ Heath, the one that you just picked up, Tim. Yeah. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Hitler's Astrologer, I believe. Yeah, thank you. Hitler's Astrologer, which was originally published by Marvel in 1988, and Dynamite has reprinted it. And then the other one uh, series that Dynamite's been publishing is the Shadow Master series. And so I figured we'd start somebody off with the first volume of that, which is... Uh, I'm reading it the, right now. Uh, that's the one you're reading? That's awesome. Uh, illustrated by the great Bill Sinkowitz. Yes, you got me this collection not too long ago, and it is fantastic artwork. I mean, the artwork is just stunning. Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna give those away. Um, I would describe the artwork as 
like it leaves you feeling eerie even if there's nothing bad happening on the page people are just sitting around looking at each other but the colors are so dis like dystopian and the 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 features on people's faces are so overt and so frightening and halloween-esque that yeah. like you, you can't turn the page without feeling like a little bit tingled down your spine yeah yeah Sengovich was at the top of his game at that point he really was i mean it's just incredible stuff like really expressive and yeah. was this before or after he had come off of new mutants do you know john this would have been after. after. This is after New Mutants. Okay. Yeah. If anybody's familiar with like the Legion TV series, that was kind of based on this weird run that he'd done on uh, the, the comic New Mutants. I guess he'd come off of that. And then I forget when he did Electra Assassin too. That's another kind of amazing one. Yeah, around that same time. This would also be after he came off of Moon Knight, which um, you mentioned earlier as being highly influenced by the Shadow as well. And... Um, Folks aren't familiar with the Moon Knight. They will be very soon as it enters the the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, yeah, that that was always one of my favorite characters too. There's been a couple like really, really cool runs on that by different artists and writers, and I didn't realize. And I mean, other than the the sort of you know Moon Knight to Batman, Batman to Shadow connection, I didn't realize with like all those kind of street level personalities how uh, influenced Moon Knight was by the Shadow as well. So it just makes me like both characters more. Yeah, well, one of the one of Moon Knight's uh, identities is a cab driver, and one of the Shadow's main accomplices was a cab driver. Right. So it pulled straight from there. Yeah, absolutely, very cool. So the Hitler's Astrologer collection is this is that hardcover? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's hardback, and uh, the Master Series Volume One is a uh, paperback. Awesome. Well, let's figure out how we want to do this giveaway. I guess we should have talked about that before I hit record. I think we'd mentioned Instagram. So I, here's my idea, and if, if we don't like it, you can raise. This is the part. first time I'm hearing it too, as your as your partner in business. So as, as my business partner, yeah, we're we're, <laughs> we're slinging this thing. I, this actually came to me a little bit ago, and I ran it by my family while we were eating some dinner, and they seemed to think it was a good idea. Okay. Um, so my idea for who's going to get these two books, uh, it's going to be a random drawing, but how we're going to select those two people are in order to be eligible. By telepathy. <laughs> by tele- by, by uh, clouding our minds with your, with your name. I want to see folks take really creepy, interesting photos of their shadow, post, oh. them, on his, post them on Instagram, and tag Strange Familiars and at Riverbend Comics. Okay, so it's at Strange Familiars and then at Riverbend Comics. Yeah, take, and um, yeah, take a photo. Uh, yeah, that's a great idea. So, what, what do you think, Sam? Does that does that sound like a good idea? I think it's brilliant. I, I think it fits the genre. I think it fits the mood. We'll we'll set a deadline based on when this uh, hits the hits the airs. I don't so know when yeah, so gonna... it should be Thursdays. Okay, so we'll run this until February 11th. Hop on Instagram, tag us with your best creepiest photo of your shadow. Or it could be someone else's shadow, right? A sh- yeah, it's a, a great photo. shadow photo. Yeah. yeah. And please follow at Riverbend Comics and at Strange Familiars at the same time. And we'll pick our favorites. Two people will get either of these two collections. Exactly. Yep. How, how uh, metaphorical are we thinking about these shadow images? Like how, how abstract or how concrete do we want? Are we, are we looking for here? I, I would invite people to uh, interpret it as they see fit. Yeah, get creative, sure. Yeah. 
and then we'll we'll have a powwow, and amongst the three of us, we'll choose our our two favorites. Yep. Okay, I like that. All right. Awesome. That is an awesome thing. It's so I own both of these collections separate from this. I already own them. Each one is a fantastic collection, worth owning, and a really cool place to start a shadow collection, or if you already have one, to add to your collection. And if uh, folks either don't decide to enter the contest or aren't fortunate enough to win, uh, we do have them stocked at riverbendcomics.com, so you can go on there and get Perfect. started with some shadow, some shadow reading. And you can order anything that's in print for people, right? Absolutely, yeah. So if you know if we get a great uh, response from this and uh, we sell out of what we have in stock, we can always order more. Just get in touch with us and happy to do special orders. Perfect. John and Sam, thank you very much. Riverbend Comics, my favorite comic shop. And not just because you carry my books. <laughs> yeah, we have the we have the full line of the Tim Runner collection, so pick up <laughs> pick up some of those while you're there. Yeah, you can get Shadow and, and uh, my books at the same time. Yeah. Riverbendcomics.com and uh, where else can they find you? We are on Instagram uh, at Riverbend riverbendcomics.com uh, also on Facebook awesome I will put links in the notes so people can find you make sure to enter that contest everybody I'm excited to see these photos John Sam thank you so much for stopping by thanks yeah, Tim. thanks Tim what's the easiest choice you can make window instead of middle seat picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket outsourcing business tasks you hate what about selling with Shopify whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so like we said before, Gibson lived in New York City in Greenwich Village, about a 10-minute walk from the Spindrift House, if you caught our episode on Spindrift. If you remember, at the Spindrift House, they were seeing like, shadowy cloaked figures sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. While we want to talk about the shadow and the shadow's ghost in this episode, I think it's really important to note Gibson did report on other psychic phenomena. In the Duende zine, Gibson reports various occurrences that happened while he was writing the shadow including precognitive events he said he once wrote a story about a deputy sheriff in maine who was involved in some sort of criminal pursuit and it turned out there was a very similar real life case happening in maine at the same time turned out to be true he said he kept a list of these strange occurrences unfortunately didn't have it with him for the duende interview because that would have been really interesting in that their interest you know they're like a shadow fanzine they're not really interested in the paranormal stuff you could tell in the interview 
Gibson was more interested in talking about that aspect of it than the interviewer. They just was, wanted to like, just kind of pure comic book. Yeah, they wanted to know about the shadow and and all these different you know things about him, and and he he was talking about all this this other stuff. He posits the idea that is very uh, prescient, ironically, that time may not work exactly as we think, and that we may be moving back and forth through time in a different way than we actually think, which is very strange familiars. Very... Yeah, and then did that sort of inform the shadow's arc? Does he move back and forward in time within the... Um, I'm only familiar, honestly, with the comics and, and a few. I've read one or two of the stories that have been reprinted You elsewhere. didn't read 278 novels I did as not. preparation for this? I did this? not, and I listened to some of the radio shows. Uh-huh. There's definitely, especially with the radio shows, there's definitely a, a certain formula to them, I think. And know. they probably fit in nicely with other radio plays at the same time. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. He also talks about a kind of deja vu. He says after he was writing a story set in San Francisco in which he described this thick fog rolling in through the Golden Gate and then enveloping Alcatraz. It was sort of a prison escape story or something. Mm -hmm. He was later visiting San Francisco and he witnessed the same thing happen. He said it was exactly as he had described it in the story. Now, I know for us from here, it's like big deal, some fog rolled in. But I'm thinking for him, it was... It was worth noting. It was weird enough where he was like, "Whoa, this is like just like." Yeah, and he wouldn't story. have had the chance to to watch something like that on TV or big screen, probably. Oh yeah, he would have. Yeah, he wouldn't have had any real life experience with that. So this part is my favorite little bit of information about Walter Gibson that I found. He hosted a radio show in the 1950s called Strange. Did he now? And it had to do with psychic occurrences. Wow, he's your time-traveling doppelganger. Right? And here we are doing a show called Strange Familiars about Walter Gibson all these years later. Traveling through time. One of the stories he relates in that Duende magazine has to do with what our patron episode will be this month. He tells a story about researching the death of an English actor named William Terrace. Now, Terrace had an understudy who dreamed he would be stabbed. The dream came true. And we'll tell that whole story on the Patreon episode. So if you're a patron, you'll get to hear that. But as regards Gibson, Gibson went to a party later that night. So he finds this information. He's he's constantly looking for stories to present on his radio show, mm-hmm. Strange. And he does <laughs> Like, it. what's next week's episode going to be? Yeah, that same right? panic you have on Sunday. <laughs> sounds a little familiar. And he's doing all this research, and he's going through this thing, and he comes across this story on William Terrace. Later that day, he decides to go to a party. Now, he said it was really unusual because this party was it was far away. It was quite a drive. It was a hot summer day. He didn't really want to do it, but he and his wife had been promising these friends, okay, we'll come out to the country where he, where mm-hmm. he lived. So they finally did. And lo and behold, at that party that night, he meets William Terrace's son, Tommy Terrace, the same night after he had researched that story. Speaking of Tommy Terrace, if you listen to the Patreon episode, we got a little bit on Tommy Terrace too, a little something neat for that. You know, all of our talk of the shadow, I forgot to mention earlier that uh, Orson Welles was the voice of the shadow for a while on the radio show. I feel like Orson Welles is sort of like, uh, who is it you say Lafayette shows up in a lot of things. I think Orson Welles is sort of like a, a pivot towards a lot of unusual phenomenon. He, he he figures largely in a lot of yeah just strangeness. <laughs> yeah, yeah interesting man for sure. Now we get to the story of the shadow's ghost, though. Supposedly, the shadow's ghost haunts the house at 12 Gay Street 
Greenwich Village, New York. As I said, it's about a 10-minute walk from the Spindrift House. So you'll remember this other character from our Spindrift episode, famous ghost hunter Han Solzer. <laughs> he investigated this house, 12 Gay Street, in the early 1960s. This would have been after the time that Walter Gibson lived there. In his book, Yankee Ghosts, he discusses the story. I think it's called The Gay Street Ghost or something, The Ghost of Gay Street. It's reprinted in a more recent volume called Ghosts, True Encounters with the World Beyond. If you're interested, you can check them out. When he gives his history of the house, he fails to mention that Walter Gibson lived there. I don't think he knew. I don't think records were as easily accessible then mm-hmm. as they are now. So there was some kind of paranormal activity around this house, and people didn't know it was the house of the guy that wrote The Shadow? They didn't mention it in... Oh, okay. Hans Holzer didn't mention it all in his story. It just had that reputation. Yeah. So the house was built in the early 1800s, possibly around 1827. According to Holzer, a sculptor lived there in the 1920s. And this sculptor was supposedly fond of alcohol, and he had a special trap door built under which he hid liquor during Prohibition. All of this is certainly within the realm of possibility. Mm Mm-hmm. He claims that the property was later owned by a controversial New York mayor, Jimmy Walker. Not the dynamite guy. Okay. I don't know which reference is older. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Walker was very controversial, and and I think he was uh, drummed out of office, I believe. But supposedly, according to Holzer, this house was, was used as a home for one of his mistresses. But in 1956... The house is sold to two puppeteers, Frank Paris and T.E. Lewis. They set up a puppet theater and a workshop in the house. Now, if we're talking about liminal things and oddities, hard to get much weirder than puppets, I think. Yeah. So first we have a supposed sculptor and then puppeteers move in. And then puppeteers move in, yeah. So A sculptor, a whore, and some puppeteers. Yeah, essentially, yeah. It's quite quite the the heady mix. (laughs) And Walter Gibson. And Walter Gibson. So Paris describes the haunting events in the house, and he says there's an odor, a strong odor of violets he could smell sometimes. The sound of people, in his words, waltzing up and down the stairs at night. I don't think he meant they were literally dancing. I think he meant they were just traveling freely up and down the stairs. House guests had also heard these unknown footsteps. But perhaps most interesting is he reported the sighting of a male apparition in the house. It was described as a dark-haired man wearing dress clothes and an Inverness cape, which is a kind of dress cape. Really only found on theatrical subjects, Jack the Ripper, and random paranormal facts. (laughs) And Sherlock Holmes. And Sherlock Holmes, It was seen at dusk. The witness, at least the witness we know about, was an older woman named Alice who was friends with the puppeteers. She turned to tell them about the ghost, turned back, and it disappeared, in her words, like a puff of smoke, which is an interesting descriptor, given the way the shadow disappears often in these stories. The shadow, you'll be interested to know, he did have supernatural powers. He could cloud men's minds, Mm -hmm. but he also used stage magician tricks. He would disappear Uh in puffs of smoke and and all these these different tricks at the time because Gibson was so familiar with them. The shadow would use all these different tricks to confound his enemies. So he didn't have any sort of superhero, like some sort of fantastic ability that was given to him by some adverse 
Well, he, he did... wasn't bitten by a radioactive spider. He no. wasn't. Um... No, he, he didn't uh, fall into a gamma ray vat or however the Hulk was made. Or just he wasn't he was... rich. He was. Well, his alter ego was sort of. It's, it's very confusing. <laughs> we, we went over it with John. Okay. But his powers were gotten through training. So he did have like supernatural powers, the ability to cloud oh, so there would be a so montage forth. where either he would be working out and training his mind and, in, in the movie. Yeah. He would probably be sitting down with a deck of cards, trying to memorize everything. Probably. And in the background, some very energetic eighties. I should have watched this. So they did a, a shadow movie with Alec Baldwin as the shadow in the nineties. And I should have watched that and prep for this. Cause I actually like that movie. I've seen it. I remember really liking it and I haven't seen it in i don't know 20 years or more yeah it probably didn't hold up i'm betting i'm guessing it probably didn't but so this was this is the 90s was like the return to um a lot of those old classic sort of proto comic book characters too you know like the mask and like those rocketeer kind of, rocketeer yeah, yeah like a lot of those so I just thought that was very interesting that that she described it disappearing in a puff of smoke knowing nothing about the author of the shadow uh-huh. how it lived there a week later, Paris said he saw the same apparition. This time it was wearing a hat. He described the ghost, and this is a quote, I saw the ghost myself, exactly as Alice had described him, wearing evening clothes, a cape, a hat, his face somewhat obscured by the shadows of the hallway. So he was obscured by the shadows, this figure they saw, which is one of the reasons... Gibson said he clad the shadow in black as he wanted him to be able to blend in the shadows and have that hat so he mm-hmm. could he could hide in the shadows and step out and make himself known when he wanted to. Which kind of becomes like sort of like the detectives. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like the, the noir kind of detectives go to get up. Yeah, absolutely. So Paris said his dog also noticed the spectral visitor and it went up to the ghost as if to greet it. Wow. And none of these people are aware that this is the house where... Was this the house he actually wrote the Shadow stories in? Yes. He, this is when he would have been writing two novels a month, doing that kind of intense work. Okay. I'm, I'm going to... I'm, I'm thinking of a word. It's very strange familiars. It starts with a T. Yes. Am I right? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's not Tim, by the way. <laughs> so, as we know of Holzer, he always brings one of his mediums with him to the house. His medium and I, I have quotes around that in the in uh-huh. the uh, outline here and i'll say it again then went into a trance and this medium determined the house was a gambling den filled with opium smokers oh okay the only thing interesting about that is the number of like i said sort of chinese villains that would have been involved in the opium trade and so forth that the shadow did face in the stories This medium said a woman had been murdered in the house. Always. The crime was committed by a man named Ming. Oh, that's not too racist. A woman had been decapitated there, and her bones were still in the house. Does anybody haunt a house where people lived pleasant lives and then just died of old age in their beds? I think ghost hunting back then was a, there's a lot of drama, and there was was a lot of thinking people would never be able to prove or disprove this, right? That things have been lost to time. Now, we can very much prove and disprove these things at least get a lot closer than they could mm-hmm. back then. And it's like, what were they doing? What is this goofy story she's coming up with? But I think back then, they thought they were safe. Mm-hmm. Like, this stuff is lost to time. No one will ever figure this out. And if something like this, this sort of dramatically happens, you feel like there must be a dramatic cause. You know, mm-hmm. so a spirit doesn't come back to haunt an area that was 
not related to him in any sort. So the other people that were there, they said, let's look for these bones. If there's bones in this house, let's look for them. And, of course, the medium was immediately overtaken. It was, oh, it was just probably too much. It was too much for her. Mm. And she became too distressed and refused and said that uh, her feelings of tragedy about the house were already too intense. They couldn't possibly look for these bones. So none of the medium's assertions about the house have been proven to be true. People have looked into it since, like, absolutely none of them. So Holzer, he's dead now, but back in time. Holzer back there, and in, in the, mm-hmm. you need new mediums. <laughs> but what is interesting is Walter Gibson lived there, 12 Gay Street, during the time he was writing the Shatter novels, as I said. Are do any of these plots, though, that she came up with, are they part of the novels? With over 200 Shatter novels? Probably. It possibly could be, yeah. So Gibson didn't report any strange phenomena happening in the house himself. Mm-hmm. But he did read Holzer's story later on. You know, I don't know how deep his knowledge... It sounds like he was pretty into the paranormal. And I'm, Yeah, I'm, I mean, if he was friends with Houdini, the, Houdini was one of the first people to really be an active collector of strange phenomenon and books about demonology and witchcraft and all those sorts of things. So I think anybody in that set was pretty heavy into it for the time period. Right, yeah. So this is a quote from Gibson from the interview in the Duende fanzine. He said, 12 Gay Street, Hans Holzer says it's haunted. People see a man in evening clothes moving in and out, but that's where I wrote The Last Shadow, and what they're seeing is Lamont Cranston. They're seeing what we call an afterimage psychic projection, not a ghost. So he brought him to life, and then he still lived there. In a sense. I mean, that's the idea. So I believe this is the word. Oh, I, I actually have not seen these. I know, the, but that is the word you were suggesting? That was the word I was suggesting. Yes, so... The question is, were the inhabitants of Gibson's former residence seeing a talpa created by Gibson? And for those not familiar, talpa is a concept from Tibetan lore. John Keel wrote this in the Mothman Prophecies. He said, the Tibetans believe that advanced human minds can manipulate invisible energies into visible forms called talpas or thought projections. For someone writing that intensely about a character... Is that enough to make, as he was calling them, these psychic afterimages where people were picking up on him? Well, it's a huge emotional investment. It really is. To be, to spend that much of your life writing about or as that person. Yeah. To not have a little of it linger. Yeah, it's, it, to me, that's way more interesting than a ghost. Oh, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like the f- Infinitely more interesting. Mm-hmm. The fact that you could leave a little residue. Yeah, yeah, really, really interesting. So speaking of the Mothman prophecies... Keel also features a bit about the hauntings at 12 Gay Street. And this is a quote. There's an old house on a tree-lined street in New York's Greenwich Village, which harbors a strange ghost. It is dressed in a long black cape and wears a wide-brimmed hat pulled down over its eyes as it slinks from room to room. But wait, this ghost may not be a member of the Restless Dead at all. There were never any reports of hauntings there until about 20 years ago, after the house was vacated by a writer named Walter Gibson. And Keel goes on to describe Walter Gibson in the shadow. Continuing, he says, Why would a shadow-like apparition suddenly appear in an old house? Could it be some kind of residue from Walter Gibson's very powerful mind? So Keel's suggesting that this apparition may be a talpa or something like a talpa. Which, again, to me is far more interesting than... Then, then the decapitated ghost. woman would, yeah. would somehow take the form of a, a man in that kind of costume. 
the amount of, of work and energy, as we were saying, that Gibson invested in this character, combined with this liminal nature of the house, the, the sculptor and the puppet theater being there, mm-hmm. maybe this was like the ideal place for psychic phenomena to manifest. Well, it's also a place of amazing creativity, too. I like that yeah. aspect of it. That, yeah. Like, the, the, the puppeteers are, are bringing inanimate things to life. He's bringing inanimate things to life. and Yeah, and the sculptor, too, is, yeah. is making things from, you know, you're literally either building up things from whatever materials you're using or you're taking away, if you're using, a, like, a block of marble, for instance, mm-hmm. you're, you're taking away till you have something there. Yeah. It's a, so in, in that way, it's, it's sort of akin to, like, a, you know, a nursery. Yeah, yeah, very much so. If your puppy is greeting ghosts and walking up to them in your haunted townhouse in New York City, this may or may not be a problem. I don't know. <laughs> for me, it'd be a bonus, but. Yeah, it would be like a. For other people, maybe that's a problem. Maybe you want them to. Uh, Stop greeting the ghosts. Or maybe just on your command, if you say stop greeting ghosts, you'd want them to stop. Exactly. Paranormal puppy problems at 90 days to the perfect puppy. Exactly. 90 days to the perfect puppy can help you whatever your problem is. You can find them at sithappens.us. Look for the 90 days to the perfect puppy link at the top of the page. They have online sources. They've got video lessons. They've got a secret Facebook group, which you can join. I'm actually a member. I'm a puppy list member of the secret Facebook group, but I do enjoy seeing people put up their stories. And the thing that's cool about that is somebody might be having an issue that you're having as well. And they're talking about it and they're, they might've found a creative solution for it, or they might get the help that you're looking for from the 90 days, to the perfect puppy staff. And you can certainly apply that to your puppy, et cetera. So it's a really, really cool aspect of the 90 days to the perfect puppy service. And of course they have one-on-one options available as well. They have a relationship-based approach that helps you and your puppy become perfect for each other. They'll help you understand how your dog thinks and apply proactive training methods. They'll teach you what to do and perhaps more importantly, what not to do so you and your puppy, again, can become perfect for each other. Find them at sithappens.us. Look for the 90 days to the perfect puppy link at the top of the page. Now, there's some people online that have dug into this, ghost hunters and so forth, and they feel that Keel was either wrong or mistaken in his interpretation of the haunting. But there are, there's other precedents for, aren't there, for houses like that that are haunted by characters? Yes. There's a very famous one that David Weatherly told me about. I should look into it more. It's a plantation in the South that's supposedly haunted. And one of the people that supposedly haunts this plantation is a slave woman. And people see her, and there's a very specific description of her and so forth, and she has a name, Mm -hmm. and I don't know if she's spoken to people and said her name or whatever, but in any case, for years and years, everyone just believed this story, and then somebody did some historical research, and this person never existed. Mm -hmm. This slave woman never existed. So people have absolutely created you know, entities in, in a sense in the past. And people have, I think, even maybe photographed this ghost, you know, in the, in the past on the plantation. Mm-hmm. It's a complete fabrication. You know, people have done that with psi experiments where they've just decided to come up with a ghost, you know, and they name him and they give him a fake history and they try to contact him through various psychic means and then mm-hmm. they end up contacting him and he'll answer questions about his life. And, mm-hmm. you know, so you can absolutely 
well, I won't say you can, but I, I think people have absolutely created entities out of uh, the Aether. Now, how animated they are and how independent they are from our thoughts, I don't know. You know, but yeah. And at what point does that act of creation make it part of like the collective unconscious? Yeah, exactly. Did we perpetuate a, you know, we, not just strange familiars, but we as our culture, are we perpetuating phenomenon because we actually can interact and hear about other people's experiences in a way that we didn't have access to before? I, I mean, absolutely, I think so. And then you take something like The Shadow, which was so important to pop culture. In the interview with John, John, Sam, and I all talked about our fathers saying, just, you know, would come out randomly and say, who knows what evil lurks in the heart of men? The shadow knows. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that comes from the old shadow radio show. And it made that much of an impression on all of our dads that they would just say that to it. You know what I mean? Like as kids. And I... Yeah, not only that, but they're, I mean, your dad might have been just old enough. Mm-hmm. But every, but, the, uh, but their fathers are younger than that. And it's like. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I think my dad down. actually did listen to the, to mm-hmm. the old radio show. So. It's this culture idea that's passed down, and the shadow, in a way, while he's a more obscure character now, mm-hmm. he really did influence Batman and Moon Knight and all these other characters that have, have taken so much yeah. from So in that way, he's just kind of grown through pop culture. Mm-hmm. So I think something like that, that's like... He's the literal caped crusader. Yeah, that, absolutely. You know. And the shadow of all these other guys, he's, he, you know, he's in the background, but... It's just pregnant with possibility to become a Talpa or something mm-hmm. like it. I think even more so than Batman. I think because this character's kind of on the fringes of everything and yeah. inspired all that. It's kind of behind all that. And he's devoid of the ego of, say, like Batman. I mean, Batman, you know, he's imbued, you know, probably with... <laughs> I'm projecting a little bit here, but <laughs> because of the his sort of moneyed upbringing... He's imbued with this idea that basically he can do whatever he wants, right? Mm, I mean, some people say that, yes. I mean, short answer, yes. Some people say that Batman is a problem superhero because of that, because he basically... He's a child of immense privilege who just isn't dissuaded because he knows he can fall back on his money to... Yeah. Special. In any case, people online, like I said, these these ghost hunter Uh types have said that Keel's made too much of this. He's got the wrong impression about this ghost. It's not the shadow. He's making too much of this connection with the shadow. Or that he misinterpreted the Duende interview, which is not really possible because Mothman Prophecies is published before the Duende. Keo didn't read about this in Duende. Gibson sort of says that people were seeing Lamont Cranston, which is one of Shadow's multiple alter egos, not the shadow. So people are saying, well, see, Keel made too much of it. People aren't seeing the shadow. They were seeing Lamont Cranston. This they're is splitting seeing, hairs. Yeah, they're seeing Walter Gibson's creation, regardless the, of whether it, it takes that form or maybe for someone else. Maybe someone sees the shadow, and at the same time, someone else sees Walter Gibson. It, exactly. It, in fact, the one person who saw him, the man who lived there, said he was wearing a hat uh-huh. and a cape, and he was in the shadows. So now, I, this is an aside, which will probably get us off of our appointed outline. But um, what did Walter Gibson look like? Did, I mean, did he was he one of those people who affected the the characters that he wrote about? Like, did he wear the hat? Uh, I'll show you what Walter Gibson looked okay. like. Somewhere in here, there's a photo of Walter Gibson. Short answer, uh, there he is in his old age. Oh, with a cat. That's adorable. <laughs> so by that age, no. I'm guessing when he was younger, he probably had an air of the mysterious on purpose. Yeah. He hung out with all those magicians. Those guys were definitely into... The theatrical aspect of it, yeah. Absolutely. 
So to assert that, oh, people were seeing the Lamont Cranston, not the Shadow, to me is, like I said, it's splitting hairs. It's ridiculous. And the one person said the guy was in a hat and a cape. <laughs> Who is that if not the Shadow, right? Keel had to have some kind of inside knowledge of this. I don't know if he knew Gibson. It's entirely possible he did. They were interested in the same things. Keel lived in New York for a time. Oh, I didn't know that. And maybe there was like sort of a, a network of people involved in that. I'm sure in New York at the time it would have been a small community. Everybody would have known each other. Yeah, it's, so it's, it's quite possible he, he either knew Gibson directly or at least knew of the story because he writes about it before the Duende interview. So Mothman Prophecies was published in 75, Duende in 76, Duende number two. It's not crazy at all to think Keel would have talked to other paranormal investigators mm -hmm. or been interested in this house or possibly even talked to the witnesses of the Gay Street address himself. It's not outlandish thinking, oh, Keel was a curious guy, and he would have been into probably all these things, including the shadow, I'm mm -hmm. guessing. So Gibson, in his description of the hauntings, when he talks about people saying he might have been using Lamont Cranston and the shadow interchangeably, just because he says people saw Lamont Cranston doesn't mean... He meant they weren't seeing they, the shadow. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Like, he might have been using them interchangeably. I mean, would it matter to you if Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde were in the house? I would, you know, I would yeah, feel exactly. like it's two sides of the same coin, right? Yeah, yeah. So if we remember the witness descriptions, like I said, the one entity disappeared like a puff of smoke. Mm -hmm. So the shadow used stage magician's tricks. He disappeared in puffs of smoke. That'd be within his bag of tricks. And I'm, again, I, you know, maybe the witness didn't literally see it disappear in a puff of smoke, but it's a really interesting choice of words mm -hmm. given the character. The other witness specifically states the apparition was wearing a cape and a hat with the face obscured by shadows. And that sounds to me very much like any description of the shadow from any radio play I've heard, from any comic I've read, from any shadow story I've read. And now when you get witness reports of, you've definitely heard more stories than I have of people, bedroom invaders, various things people see. And a lot of times people do talk about seeing shadow people. Mm -hmm. Are they wearing hats and capes? There is one that they describe as the hat man. Not so much uh, with a cape, but he is wearing a, a More a like that Rene Magritte kind of bowler hat guy that's repeated in the paintings all the time like sometimes that kind it's of... a bowler hat but often it's it, they'll describe a hat like the shadows hat like more of a a fedora or a slouch hat like the shadow wears oh i've i've had dreams nightmares with more of the bowler hat guy really yeah in shadows not in shadows just a guy in a bowler hat i think that's a thing is it i think it is hmm. i would rather not know about that <laughs> <laughs> So that's the story of the ghost of 12 Gay Street. There's not a lot of information on hauntings since then. Uh, maybe, maybe they continue, maybe they don't. Yeah, and the house might not even have its footprint, for yeah. lack of a better term. I mean, the bones of the house may have been changed or something, but very interesting. Ghosts didn't appear until after the time that Gibson was writing the stories. There's no records of ghosts before then. And then other places he's lived, has the shadow appeared? Or is this is the place where he wrote the bulk of... I believe, this is, so rereading my notes there, it sounds like it was the last place he was staying when he was writing The Shadow. So I think the entire time he was writing The Shadow, he was writing a lot of The mm -hmm. Shadow, and he would have been pouring a lot into it. He did bring back The Shadow in the 60s, but I think he's referring to the last of the original novels and, and radio shows that he was writing then. So there we have The Shadow. He knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. A lot of people have been requesting it over time. Like long before we ever did Spindrift, somebody contacted me and said, you should do a show about the shadow and, and the haunting. Didn't know that we'd find enough for a whole episode. But once we saw that 
Gibson had all those other paranormal interests. I thought, well, there's enough here then. There's I can't believe you did a podcast called Strange. (laughs) It was pre-podcast. They were called radio shows back then. He did a podcast called... How amazing. Copies of that show must exist somewhere. And I'd I'd love to hear that. Oh, they're probably on archive.org, I bet. Yeah, I don't know. I'll have to dig in and see if I can find any because that's that's amazing. The fact that he did a show called Strange is just... When I saw that, I just started laughing. Like, amazing. It's nice to know, too, that there's been this continuum of, of people who've been interested in that. It's not just a internet era sure fascination yeah. absolutely here you've you've already checked off people from sort of every decade of ghost hunting and paranormal mm-hmm. in, in the 1900s yeah absolutely don't forget as you heard john and sam and i talk about we're giving away two graphic novels of the shadow if you want a chance to win one of those tag us in a picture and instagram your best shadow picture it can be your own shadow it can be somebody else's shadow get creative do whatever you want we're gonna pick our favorites and we will send out shadow swag two graphic novels courtesy of riverbend comics riverbendcomics.com and strange familiars make sure to follow strange familiars and riverbend comics too as well when you uh, send us those photos we're looking forward to them i think it's a really fun idea john came up with Here's your bowler hat guy. It's a, it's a little different though. It's a, it's a little bit more. Yeah, it's, it's, a little, it's a little, uh, I guess, larger than a bowler hat. It's a fancy fella tipping his hat. I think he's an actor. I think you might be right. He's wearing a nice long coat, got a flower on it. This was pinned up somewhere. That's the other thing that makes me think. It's got pinholes in the corner. That mm-hmm. makes me think it was it was an actor too. So we have a cabinet card, and you said these photographers were known for taking pictures of actors and so forth? Yeah, I think this one is I've seen with other actors. Other actors and so forth. Back in the days when Ohio only had to go by an O and not an O-H. I know. I like that. Yeah. Bowling Green O. The photographer is Morrison from Main Street and Bowling Green. So this is a very fancy fellow. It could be a young Lamont Cranston. It could. He has a watch fob and... Actually, um, you can tell based on this little notation here where I bought it from originally. Because uh, <laughs> you're obsessive. <laughs> it's okay, I am too. You can find this photo in our Etsy shop. If you go to the show notes under this episode, you'll see a picture of this. You can click on that. It'll take you to our Etsy shop where you can buy this and some other photos of the week are remaining there. Past few have sold right away. So check this guy out. He's pretty neat. Bit of a dandy. I was going to ask if he qualified as the dandy. I think he's a border dandy. He's a borderline dandy. Yep. Check him out. I think he goes well with this episode. While you're at Etsy, make sure to check out our other options. Our store name is Lost Grave, one word, which you can type in and find us. But if you type in Strange Familiars, our stuff should pop up. We have copies of all of my books there right now, including the new book, Where the Footprints End, Volume 2. They are in stock, and they will ship right away if you order them now. No more waiting. But all my other books are up there. And Apparitions, Illustrations of the Other, my art book, the only place to get it is from us on Etsy or from Riverbend Comics. But check out everything else we have there at Etsy, including, hopefully, it's early in the week when we're recording this, but hopefully the artwork for this episode. I'm going to try to do a drawing of the shadow and uh, put it up there. So you might be able to purchase that if it's not going already. Seems to be something that would be in your wheelhouse. I do like the shadow, and I've never drawn them before, so this will be a treat. Also on Etsy, Chad has a store now, Ruck Rabbit Outdoors. Our friends 
at Karmic Garden have a shop with all kinds of good-smelling stuff, natural soaps and so forth. They have the Flannel Man scent, and they have the Strange Familiar scent, the Bespoke Strange Familiar <laughs> scent as well. Check them out while you're on Etsy. Coming up here, we'll be doing our Where the Footprints End Volume 2 interview, where Allison will be dragging Josh and I over the coals. And look for us all around podcast land. Josh and I are doing the virtual book tour now, so you'll probably see us pop. I'm off to writing my next book or two. We'll see how many it ends up being. Doing artwork for other books. Excited about that. Well, you can always find us at strangefamiliars.com. Links to everything we do should be there. I'll also put links in the show notes as well. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back soon with another episode of Strange Familiars. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts, music, books, art, podcasts, and more. Intro and background music is by Stonebreath. You can find more at stonebreath.bandcamp.com. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars, where you can join the Strange Familiars gathering group, and we're on Instagram at strangefamiliars.
Time inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.